Welcome to The Bulb, a podcast shedding light on gendered violence. In each edition, we'll explore aspects of this violence. What is thought about it, what we know about it, or what is yet to be revealed. The Bulb is a podcast series brought to you by the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research. Thank you for joining us as we share knowledge to improve the lives of women and their children. Welcome to the third season of The Bulb. If this is your first listening experience with us, you are very welcome indeed. If you've come back for more after seasons one and two, we say great choice. Oh, and just between us, if you are a new listener and curious about what you've missed, you can still listen to our first two seasons. You'll find them where you found this one. For listeners who have yet to subscribe, why not hit the subscribe button? So then you'll get notified of each new release of the Bulb podcast. This season has a specific focus, and I won't preempt what Dr. Heather Lovett has to say, because in this first episode, you'll get a taste of what's on the menu for the Bulb third time around. Hello, season three. Today on The Bulb, it's my pleasure to chat with Dr. Heather Lovett. Heather is the director of the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research and is the um, person who initiated the concept for this season of The Bulb. So, Heather, welcome to The Bulb. Oh, thank you so much. Heather, it's great to have you with us today. And I'm really mindful that a particular passion of yours personally is how research honours women with the lived experience of gendered violence. And I know you do this so well through hearing the voices of women. Yet this season of The Bulb's got a different focus. I'm really interested to hear what influenced your decision to explore this theme of working with men. Mm, Thank you. Um, Look, we all know, so I'm not going over statistics, but we all know the statistics relating to intimate partner violence or domestic and family violence remain alarming and concerning, to, to say the very least. And it's also indisputable that overwhelmingly it is men who perpetrate this type of violence and women and children are the victims. You are so right, Colleen, that a passion is to hear the voices of the lived experience for women and children. And I think the deaths of Hannah Clark and her children have been a catalyst, a tragic catalyst for a lot of change in our state. It also somewhat, uh, for for me, uh, shed a spotlight on the need for deeper and broader understandings of the tactics perpetrators use that may be invisible, coercive control. Um, you know, some refer to it as power and control. Um, the current term is coercive control, and it can be invisible, as in Hannah Clark's um, case, until the ultimate um, act that was lethal. And 
we now know that coercive control it come you know is is a huge risk of course and risk of further harm it's interesting Colleen that two of our recent studies um focused on women led me to really think about this theme of we need to do more working with men that's not to say we we that funding and priorities move from a focus with women but rather there's complementary focus on working with men and in the work we do with engagement we hear this all the time could we do more with you know programs um, about working with men or provide some support or you know some training which studies in particular Heather were you thinking of when you when you mentioned this one ironically was about exploring um, the motivations of women who use force and what that really reinforced as well was that it was so different from men's use of force um, first of all it it highlighted that it is predominantly males who um, use domestic and family violence but there's a particular pattern now, the difference that was really um, established through our study was that women who use force, it's often events-based. So it's in self-defense or because of fear of harm or death. Occasionally, it could be retaliating out of frustration and anger and sometimes to gain some short-term control. But what it doesn't have is that deliberate pattern of coercion. It doesn't result in the same intimidation. It doesn't result in the same injuries, hospitalizations or deaths. So the two types of violence are very different. And of course, we know that men are the predominant users of that violence, as I've said before. But why we were interested in that study was because, as listeners may know, women are often being named as respondents um, because um, of a use of violence. So it, that sort of led us to think, well, it's never more apparent that, again, the men's use of violence is just such high risk and the harm is longer term um, and the, the, the lethality as, as, as well. And the second study? Um, the last most current study we've done is actually with women who had been impacted by non-fatal strangulation. And their descriptions of what, what we've actually termed a repertoire of abuse, inclusive of uh, coercive control to the degree, you know, the examples they provided were, were just um, so illustrative and so confronting about the level of intimidation, entrapment and grooming that happened 
Um, and then there was a, a pattern of concurrent complex tactics as part of that, culminating or as part of it was strangulation. Now, these women had survived, but it became very apparent about the not only the short-term impacts, but the, the long-term impacts. And again, this really led me to think, well, we, we need the focus on women and it will continue to be a passion of mine and, and here at the centre. But we also need to be responding to more effectively men who are using violence, obviously trying to prevent and trying to intervene earlier. But the area we're most probably looking at is to educate and to look at programs for working with men. So that was somewhat of a rather convoluted explanation, but it tells you a little about the work we've done with women that have led to this um, theme for these podcasts about working with men. Heather, your answer uh, really underscored the complexities of this work and I guess the, um, the com complex lives that, that everyday people lead. Um, and it was interesting to hear how you contextualised women's use of violence. So against and related it to, um, I guess, the men in their lives. Mm. So... You've explained very clearly, Heather, about how the centre has this focus on the lives of women and their children. And you did mention that particularly appalling family homicide that occurred in our state. But this whole area of working with men is not exactly new to the centre, is it? Oh, that's, that's a very good point. No, not at all. Um, and our work in this area spans the dimensions of both research and education with a practice focus. So I'm just thinking that listeners may not be aware of the work we do undertake here at the centre in this space, but we firmly believe, as you will have gathered from my previous um, explanation, that to make a difference, we must also have a focus on men who use violence and changing behaviours and recognition of those behaviours. It'd be great to give listeners some examples, Heather. Um, I'll just mention a, a, a few of a, a bit of about the work we have done. So, we've uh, conducted research studies uh, pertaining to men as fathers. Uh, that was the Caring Dads and Walking with Dads programs. Um, in a research project for Deloitte, we interviewed men and facilitators of men's programs to find out more about how men access information on domestic violence and the best methods for reaching men. Um, we've had a long-term partnership, research partnership with UCC, Uniting Care, uh, evaluating their statewide men's behaviour change program. And the latest stage actually explores the benefits of maintaining contact 
um, after the program, so post-program work, if I if I call it that. Uh, our own Dr. Brian Sullivan, who is actually a speaker in the series, has also conducted research regarding the unintended consequences of men's programs. And he's also evaluated a program uh, delivered virtually during these rather surreal times we're living in, that is times of, of COVID, where programs have had to be delivered differently. And Brian's contribution to this season actually speaks to the interface between practice research and education that I alluded to earlier. And the centre's commitment to building capacity to actually respond to men who use violence? Now, for some years, we've had a postgraduate qualification in facilitating men's behaviour change. And we're very excited about some key developments of 2021, where we're preparing for this course and along with other companion courses that we have to move to a more accessible learning environment. Uh, we're hoping in March, so I'll give you a little snapshot, but uh, we're working very hard on that. And we see this as a very tangible way to make it easier for current and future workers to access what we ensure is a high quality contemporary product and ultimately contributes to the workforce capacity. And, you know, I cannot tell you how excited we are about it, although being in the middle of trying to get prepare for it is, um, is, is obviously fairly onerous at the moment, but so well worthwhile. So we've got a, a very full and dedicated team spending their lives working in this area at the moment. Now, I shouldn't make it all sound about postgrad um, or, you know, the accredited programs because we are also very keen on developing and we have established some, but further developing learning options that may not be accredited. And we've been responsive to the need to develop a range of virtual training options related to aspects of practice in this area. For instance, we're currently working with a key partner in shaping a training package for use in primary healthcare settings. And as well, we have staff who've delivered training in custodial settings for workers there who are engaging with men who use force or use violence. Now, I'll also mention another facet because we realize one size doesn't fit all. So another facet of what we do that lots of people are talking about are micro-credentials. It's also an area that is in development. So what we're doing currently is building four short online courses that will be very useful for those who are working in or aspire to work in the area of facilitating 
men's behavior change. So I think I've covered most of it. You know, it, it could be I've forgotten one or two things, but I hope that gives listeners um, a little bit of a snapshot of what we are doing in the space of working with men. Heather, you've you've spoken at length about the research. Um, you've explained very clearly uh, the education offerings, and you made the point back at the beginning about the the practice um, connection that underpins all of that, which I know is really important to the centre and to you in particular. And I know how busy you are. We all know how busy you are. As we get listeners ready um, for this season of The Bulb, and I might also just also uh, remind regular listeners of The Bulb, you may have heard uh, about some of the material that Heather described with the strangulation study because we had Betty Taylor on a previous episode of The Bulb, so listeners may recall that. What can listeners expect in the forthcoming season of The Bulb, Heather? Mm. Well... It's always wonderful to hear snapshots from those working or researching in the field. And this series of The Bowl, we haven't moved from that format. It's no different. So in this series, we draw on conversations across the spectrum. So we talk with Randall, who talks about his work with First Nations men and programs. We also have Shay Leggett-Cook, sharing insights from research about this area. And Brody and Paul then speak to the realities of being a practitioner in the field. And, of course, I've mentioned this earlier, our colleague Brian Sullivan then shares his views as a researcher, educator and past facilitator of men's programs and the criticality of authentic uh, authentic engagement in all of our work. So we're really hoping that listeners enjoy this series as much as um, we've enjoyed putting it together. And I'd like to thank at the outset the wonderful contributors. Heather, it's great to acknowledge those people because they, um, they've all given their time so generously. And they've all shared so freely, as you have today. It's always a pleasure to chat. Dr. Heather Lovett, Director of the Queensland Centre for Domestic and Family Violence Research. And thank you for joining us on The Bulk today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We hope you found this edition of The Bulb enlightening. If you'd like to know more about our work, please visit noviolence.org.au. For victims and survivors of gendered violence who may have found the content of this podcast disturbing, free confidential 24-hour counselling is available nationally on 1800 737 732 through 1800 RESPECT. If you would like to know more about responding to domestic and family violence, CQ University offers a range of postgraduate and other study options. Visit cqu.edu.au and search courses for domestic violence to learn more.